Now, I think I've told the story here of when I was growing up over at Walnut Hill United Methodist Church. They have a stained glass window above the entrance from the narthex into the sanctuary. Beautiful stained glass window of Jesus. In, it's, I think it's entitled Jesus in the Cosmos. And it's a beautiful um, stained glass window of Jesus, an impressionistic rendition. It's not a literal rendition. It's a very impressionistic rendition. But you can make out Jesus there looking down with his big eyes, looking down, his arms stretched wide. And it's absolutely gloriously beautiful. And every time I've been over to Walnut Hill as an adult in ministry over the last 30 years, I remember going to that sanctuary and looking back to that stained glass window and seeing it and being reminded of how when I was a child I was absolutely terrified of that stained glass window and of his eyes of Jesus' eyes peering out from that stained glass window I can remember I was always afraid of it and we'd be in worship and of course I'd act up as most kids do and so what happens dad picks me up and carries me out uh, the side aisle to the back and in the narthex and out the doors. And I can remember as dad would carry me down, I would try to hide my face in his arm, crook of his arm, because I was scared of Jesus looking down at me. It's as if he could look into my soul. He could see all the bad things that I had done. And I was three years old. I mean, the worst thing I'd done was not eat all my lima beans and drawn on the wall in the closet with crayons. I mean, nothing big deal. Right? But I was scared of those eyes of Jesus staring down at me. Religious art sometimes does that to me. I can remember, it wasn't too long after the Oklahoma City explosion when the federal building there was destroyed, and I can remember sitting in the nursery at Cockrell Hill United Methodist Church, and because they had rocking chairs in the nursery, and I had walked out of my office and through the building, and I, I sat down in a rocking chair, and I'm sitting there thinking about the disaster and all the children who had been killed and the people who had been injured in the nursery and in that building. And I, went, I was rocking in that chair because there's something spiritual about rocking. And I looked up, and I looked out the door, and out the door, in the hallway, there was one of those classic pictures of Jesus standing there, knocking on the door. You've seen that, knocking on the door. And Jesus, with his eyes, were looking right at me, as if saying, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. I'm right here. And when I go over to Walnut Hill these days and I, I look at that stained glass window and I look up and I, I chuckle at how much I was afraid of it as a child, but I see those eyes and I see those arms outstretched in glory in that stained glass window. And I can hear in the back of my head those words, it's going to be all right. I'm right here with you. Religious art can sometimes do that, especially stained glass windows that have depictions in them. They, they, they can do that. They can speak to us deeply, spiritually, emotionally 
of the truth of the gospel, of the truth of God's love and God's presence, of the truth of the grace of God. And that's kind of what we have in our reading today, because in our reading today in Colossians, we see that Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. It's an image of, he's the image of something that is invisible. That's an interesting conception to try to get your brain around. We can't really do it, but we can feel it. The idea that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That word image in Greek is the word icon. Now, we know about icons. In the modern world, we really know about them. If you do anything with a computer that uses an iconographic operating system, like the Macintosh OS or the advanced versions of Windows, you have icons. And icons are those little pictures on the screen that represent files and applications and programs or functions of the computer. And to make adjustments to those functions of the computer or to get that information off of that file or to make that program launch and run, you click on it. You click on that little icon. You click on that little picture. And you can access the computer and its information in that way. Well, the ancient church and the modern church has another meaning for icons. This is an icon. This is an icon, Christ Pantocrator. This is an icon of Jesus. A depiction, a religious, faith-based, spiritual-based depiction of Jesus. Now, there are some icons in the back. I've asked Cade to start one on one side and one on the other, passing them around. If somebody could help with that process, I would appreciate it. Icons are not to be taken literally. They're not like photographs or even Rembrandt paintings, although they are artistic in the extreme. They are spiritual and theological interpretations of either people, God, Christ, or events. There's an icon that's going around right now of Jesus and Mary. Mary is holding Jesus in her arm, and she's gesturing to Jesus, offering Christ to us. Except Jesus isn't a baby like, like Archie over there. Jesus is almost a little adult a minuscule adult in her arms. And he's reaching up to her face to pet her cheek with love and affection. And she, with love and affection, is offering Jesus to us, to the world, to the church, offering Jesus to us, granting us grace, granting us the presence of God in Jesus. Well, this icon... Christ Pantocrator depicts Jesus in glory, and the scriptures in, in his hand there say, I am the way and the truth and the life. One of his most amazing, powerful statements of his spiritual reality, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
This is an icon. Icons are not just religious art, although many people use them as religious art, have them on their walls as religious art. You, you go into my house and in my, in my study, you'll see several icons in there. If you go into my office here in the building, this icon is hanging on the wall. The other two icons that are passing around uh, are on the walls there. They depict a spiritual truth beyond the picture. There are lots of ways to implement the use of icons in your religious life. When I was in the monastic community, we prayed with icons, not to icons, through icons. Like you would look through a window, so you would look through an icon to the spiritual reality depicted in that icon. The reality of Jesus in his love, in his way, his truth, in his life. The reality of the offer of Christ that Mary makes to us all. She conceived Jesus in the womb and she gave him to the world through birth. So also we are called to conceive Jesus in the womb of our hearts and then share Jesus with others. These theological statements depicted in icons in, of people, of God, of Jesus, of events. These images, these icons are ways, uh, windows through which we can enter into a relationship, a spiritual relationship, a spiritual journey with God in Jesus. These icons are images of the invisible spiritual truth that Paul is speaking about here in Colossians, that Jesus is the image, the icon in Greek, the icon of the invisible God. And he goes on, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and things invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things, what's not included in all things, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in Jesus we see, in his words, in his deeds, in his preaching, in his teaching, in his feeding, and in his forgiving, in his healing, in his deliverance of people who were oppressed by evil, in showing forth the way that God has for us to live. Jesus becomes the image, the icon of the invisible God, the creator of the universe. And in him all things hang together, hold together. For in a spiritual sense that is beyond our comprehension, he is the author and finisher of our faith, the author and finisher of creation. For as we see in John's gospel, he says that all things came into being through him, through Christ. These Theological and spiritual proclamations about Jesus remind us that this Yeshua bin Yosef Nanzianzas, this, this Jesus 
son of Joseph of Nazareth, a child of a carpenter, uh, possibly a carpenter himself, uh, an itinerant rabbi who traveled throughout Galilee and, and down into Judea. He taught and he preached and he worked miracles in the presence of the people. This one who then truly insulted the religious leaders of his day and the political powers of the world, and for that got convicted and executed on a cross as a criminal, as a religious and political subversive. This Jesus, this itinerant rabbi, this preacher and teacher and healer and forgiver who brings hope to us all, this Jesus is also truly the one image of the invisible, eternal God. Now, this kind of proclamation sometimes causes some people to squirm a little bit. I mean, this seems like a huge proclamation, a huge statement to make about Jesus, about this itinerant Jewish rabbi from the first century. And we know about in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we know that he lived and he cried and he laughed and he ate with sinners and tax collectors and did all those things that, that, that we do in our lives. Hoped and prayed and cried and was with these disciples and chose them. And he didn't choose powerful and educated people or rich people, or he, he chose fishermen and farmers, and yes, a tax collector. He chose people just like us, imperfect sinners. Wow, this one who is Jesus is nevertheless the image of the invisible God for us in all that he says and all that he does. And if we watch him and we experience his life and we follow his example and we try to live our lives by God's grace, doing the things that he did, proclaiming the word that he proclaimed, forgiving as he forgave, healing as he healed, giving as he gave of himself, then we too can know that we bear within ourselves the image of the invisible God an element of early Christian theology called the imago dei, the image of God. The proclamation is, is that we all share within us the image of God. Now, it's somewhat marred by sin. It's somewhat marred by our failing to follow the calling that Christ has for us. It's somewhat defaced by our stumbling and falling, but it's still there. And we're called to live by faith and trust in God's grace. And know that when we act as Christ acted, that image of God will shine forth from us too. And by God's grace, that image of God can be healed and transformed and grow in brightness and glory so that we might reflect the love of God to others as Jesus did. Where is Jesus moving in your life today? Where is the image of God moving in your life today? How are you being called to express 
the love of God, the image of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the forgiveness of God, the giving of God? How are you feeling called to be an expression of the light of God's love today? Where is the image of God working in you today? I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about it this day as you go about your business. I want you to think about it this week as you go from day to day, as you meet people who cross your paths, as you speak to those that, with whom you work or your neighbors down the road, or your family members on the phone or in your own home. Think about how God is calling you to be a manifestation of the image of God in your life. God's grace in Jesus isn't just for Jesus. God's grace and the image of God in Christ isn't just about Christ. It's about us. And how can we be called to live a life expressing that image to others? At the end of our passage, it's, it reads, And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present to you holy and blameless, irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard. Interesting. In other words, we are called to live our lives depending upon the reconciliation that we have received from God in Jesus, in what Jesus has done for us, and that Jesus will then present us before God so long as we continue in faith, continue in hope. Continue in loving God and loving neighbor as self. Continue in believing in God and believing in the calling that we have to share God's love with our neighbor and then doing it, living out our faith, living out our hope. So how is God calling you to share in the image of God in Jesus? How are you being called to share that image of God in you? with others. Think about that today, tonight, before you go to bed, tomorrow all day long, throughout this week. How is the image of God in you, the image of God that shone forth from Christ, the true icon of God, how is the image of God in you being shared from your life to others? And if you want it to be more, if you want to see that more, if you want to experience that more, then ask God in Christ to open you to his grace, to his love, and to his light, and make you a mirror of that light to others. Let me in the name of the Father and of the Son.